0: Hey City Church, uh, I'm Luke, and uh, you may have seen me at the info desk. Um, my wife and I also serve as uh, directors of volunteer resources, which means uh, we help support our uh, ministry directors. And, but we're also really passionate uh, about helping individuals uh, find the right serve team for their gifting. Um, today, uh, or last week, we began the season of Advent and lit the candle of hope. Today, we, lit the can- we light the candle of peace. Today, I'll be reading out of Luke 2, 8-14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Luke. Well, good morning, City Church family. How's everybody doing? Man, we've got some uh, people that are alive over there. Man, it's great to see you. How about the worship team this morning? Man. Russell, I don't know if you're in the room or where. Bro, I could listen to that song like all day. Can you just come over to my house? And uh, You can't sing it all day. I get it. I get it. Hey, I think there's perfectly one word that describes the scene that Luke was reading in the Gospel of Luke. And it's simply the word ordinary. There was a night that Jesus was born, and really, it was just an ordinary night. The sky was ordinary. I, I could picture an occasional gust stirring the night leaves and chilling the night air, and in fact, it was such a beautiful night that it's probably a night that you would want to look out your window and just gaze into the night sky and see the array of beautiful stars. There was no, really no reason to expect a surprise, or really, there was nothing to really even keep a person Awake. It was an ordinary night with an ordinary sky. In fact, when you looked at the hillside and you saw all the sheep that were scattered among the hill, they were just ordinary sheep. Some were fat, some were scrawny, some had these beautiful rounded barrel bellies, some had twig legs. They were just common animals. There were no prize-winning sheep in this herd. Uh, there were no history makers. There were no blue-ribbon winners, if you've ever showed uh, an FFA or 4-H, like myself, all right? Um, their fleeces were not made of gold. These were just simple, lumpy, smelly, woolly sheep scattered along a dusty hillside. And the shepherds? Peasants. More than likely, they were wearing every ounce of clothing that they owned, and they were smelling just like their lovely sheep. But here's the beautiful thing about these shepherds is they were keenly aware enough that they knew that they needed to spend the night with these flocks in order to keep them alive, to guard them, to shepherd them. But here's the reality of these shepherds is you're not going to find any of their wooden staffs in the Bible Museum when you go to Washington DC. They're not there. You're not gonna find any of their writings tucked away in the back of a, a library. In fact, no one ever asked them uh, about their opinion on social justice or you're not gonna hear like their application of the Torah. They were simply nameless and simple and this was an ordinary night filled with an ordinary sky and ordinary sheep. In fact, if it weren't for a god who likes to tuck an extraordinary on the front of an ordinary, this would have just gone this night would have gone completely unnoticed. But something happened. The black sky erupted with brightness. The trees that were once hidden in shadows erupted in full clarity. Sheep that had been silent began to sing this chorus of curiosity and the shepherds begin to wake up and they begin to rub their eyes as this angel of the lord stared at them and said these words don't be afraid <laughs> i'm terrified <laughs> can you imagine just you're you're like in your tent and the bright sky just erupts with brightness and this angel of the lord is looking at you saying don't be afraid i'm probably peeing my pants if that's your thing when you get really scared. I bring you good news that will bring you great joy to all the people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. This morning, we continue this journey through Advent We're in a season of anticipation, a time where we prepare our hearts for the coming of our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. We're focused on this theme of making room for peace and we sit in this space, in this tension between two advents. Because Christ came, we can experience peace and one day he will make everything right. Advent is this tension become of the first coming of Jesus and the second coming, and it helps us understand and make sense of our faith, and helps us understand this tension of the world that we currently live in. And if you want to understand how the nature of how God's peace shows up in our life, you have to understand that it's this. It's very, very disruptive to your own plans. God's peace is very, very disruptive to your own plans. Peace, check this this morning, is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of Jesus. We have to live in this tension of the miraculous ordinary, and if you really want deep-centered peace, it has to come through this sense of obedience. And in this story, we find these two characters that are on the scene that night, It's a young Jewish couple, and they're engaged to be married. They haven't had sex yet, but Mary begins to realize something is going on with her body. And the angel comes to her, says, Mary, don't worry. You're pregnant, but you're pregnant through the Holy Spirit. What? Let's be honest about what Mary was probably thinking that night. Joseph, don't worry. You, Mary's pregnant, and it, it's not from another guy. It's actually from God. Even weirder, right? Can you imagine the tension of this moment and the conversation that Mary and Joseph are getting ready to have? What would have been going through Joseph's mind? What in the world are we gonna tell our family? What are we gonna tell our friends? They're never gonna invite us into their homes ever again. We're gonna be outcast. You see, The savior of the world, the, the covering of sins didn't come through a baby at that time. There was a temple, there was a priesthood, there was this sacrificial system that you did and everything, all the power, belonged in the system. That's how you got God. And then another character shows up on the scene, named Herod, and he realizes and he learns about this baby Jesus that had been born. And so he issues for all the babies to be killed in the entire land. And so Joseph and Mary, they flee to Egypt. In fact, I think this shows us the way that God works in the world in that time is very similar to how God works in the world today. True peace, biblical peace, is disruptive peace. True peace, biblical peace is disruptive peace. Bonhoeffer says this, he says, we've become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and the agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. True peace is a disruptive peace. In fact, if you're experiencing peace in our modern society today, in our modern culture, it may not be because you're necessarily living for God. It may just be because you're drifting along with the culture and really not pushing back on it. You see, our enemy, Satan, the devil, whatever word that you wanna call him, his goal is not to turn you into a notorious sinner. No, that's not his goal at all. His goal is to get you to go along with the systems of the world, to slowly lull you to sleep. To persuade you that drifting through life as a distracted consumer is everything that the world has to offer you. That's where you find peace. That's Satan's number one goal. You see, when God shows up, he often disrupts the false sense of peace that we have in our life. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. We have to realize That true peace will often disrupt and disorient our entire lives. We have these cultural scripts that we're typically born into, and we just naturally follow them. And if we're careful to follow them, they lead to one of two things. It's this. They lead to success, and they lead to comfort and security. The whole cultural script that we live in is this, is get so secure that you're no longer vulnerable to anything in this life. Become so secure that you're no longer vulnerable to anything. Become so successful that people recognize you and they look at you and they shout your name from the stages and you actually get what you want out of this life. You see, it can be completely shocking to our system when God shows up and our happy Cultural plans are completely disrupted and disturbed. Can you imagine for a moment Joseph's plans? <laughs> I'm sure he just wanted a normal life in the community to practice his skill in his trade. And then an angel shows up and says, Joseph, salvation is going to come through you. And it completely disrupts everything. You see, peace also disrupts our desire for security. We often believe that if God would step in, he would make everything better. And that's not often the case. You see, often when God steps in, we go from the back of spiritual conflict to the front of it. That's often what happens. This can be very disorienting in our lives and confusing because often joining spiritual resistance leads to spiritual resistance. Christmas is the threat to the principalities, the powers, and the systems of oppression of this world. When God comes in, it naturally brings problems. Biblical peace is disruptive to the status quo. Listen to what N.T. Wright wrote. He says, I was dumbfounded. At the heart of the Christmas story in Matthew's gospel is a baby who poses such a threat to the most powerful man that he kills a whole village. He's talking about King Herod here kills a whole village full of other babies in order to try to get rid of him. And at the heart of the Christmas story in Luke too is a baby, if only the Roman emperor knew it, would be the lord of the whole world. Within a generation, his followers will be persecuted by the emperor as a danger to good order. Whatever else you say about Jesus, from his birth onwards, people certainly found him a threat. He upset their power games and suffered the usual fate of people who do that. You see, this kind of peace that God offers that shows up is typically found in the midst of tremendous conflict. This is not a fragile peace. This is a peace that's anti-fragile. In fact, the more conflict that comes in the gospels, the more conviction people have that the message is actually true, And if you've lived for Jesus long enough, you will find that to be true in your life. The more conflict that people have, the more formation that has developed in our character, and the more that we become more and more like Jesus. You see, the more conflict, the surer the purposes of God become that we're actually on the right track. God is continually deepening our peace, deeper and deeper into the things of him. Thomas Merton wrote this, he says, sooner or later, if you follow Christ, you have to risk everything in order to gain everything. We have to gamble on the invisible and risk all that we see and taste and feel, but we know the risk is worth it, because there is nothing more insecure than this transient world. If we learned anything during the pandemic of 2020 and beyond is everything that seems so strong was actually so weak. And everything that seems so weak has come out on the other side with this extraordinary strength. You see, the peace that is found in the miraculous ordinary is we live in this tension of supernatural intervention of God through his miraculous power along with the hard, long days filled with long, hard, boring work that we call the human experience. Welcome to life. (laughs) People tend to fall on one side or the other. You either have this thought that everything is supernatural, everything is a miracle, and here's the reality of that thinking. It's just exhausting. That's an exhausting life because that's not how we live our life or you fall on the other side where you just have no expectations, and you try to be faithful, you try to be holy, you try to just do your job with good motives, and you try to get, just get through life, and here's the problem with that type of thinking is it's just not inspirational. Nobody wants to follow that guy, but here's the tension. Our faith is miraculous, it's supernatural but it's also ordinary, it's mundane. Amazing things are going to happen in your life, guaranteed, followed by a bunch of normal, ordinary, mundane, boring days. (laughs) Welcome to the greatest sermon of your life. (laughs) 90% of Jesus' life was spent in total obscurity and 90% of your life will be spent in a normal, ordinary, mundane, boring day. God's ultimate commitment to your life isn't to fix things, that's not it. It's to form you to be more like him. This is where we understand his peace. If God fixes everything for you, you become incredibly spiritually immature and undeveloped into everything that he has uniquely in store for you. You see, we have to have expectation without agenda. And I've gotta get to this place where I'm actually content with breakthrough. God, thank you for breakthrough but I'm also content with an ordinary, mundane day. God, I can rest in your peace that nothing spectacular happened today. God, thank you for today. You see, our culture is continually lulling us in and trying to tell us what to think. Our culture is like this choice architecture that's telling us what's most important in this world. That's why we have to continually put ourselves out there and ask God to show up both in supernatural and ordinary ways in our life. Frederick Beekner says this. He says, listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. And the boredom and pain of it, no less than the excitement and gladness, the touch, the taste, the smell, your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Because in the last analysis, listen to this this morning, all moments, all moments of your life are key moments. And life itself is grace. True peace comes through costly obedience comes through costly obedience. I don't have the time to sit up here and tell you all the things that Pastor Matt and myself have been through since we've started City Church, but it's been costly. I didn't sign up to go through a divorce year one, but that's what happened. I didn't sign up to be betrayed over and over and over again but it's what's happened. You see, true peace comes through costly obedience, and here's what we know about Joseph in the Bible, is his obedience is his speech. His obedience is his peace. We never get one word that Joseph ever says in any of the text. His obedience was his speech. His obedience was his peace. Here's the things that we know about Joseph. He gets up when he's told to. He marries Mary when he's told told to. And he names the savior of the world and gives him this name, Jesus. And when the angel tells him to flee, he does it. His whole life is these simple, tiny acts of obedience. Joseph makes it possible through these tiny acts of obedience, yet he never preaches a sermon or we never even see him saying one thing. He just obeys. You see, we get caught up thinking that it's often the big things that change things in life, but it's often the very, very, very small, simple, mundane things of life that often have the greatest impact. I find that to be true as I look back over my life, over my story. See, Joseph's obedience cost him his credibility. Cost him his credibility. It cost him his convenience. He had to flee when more than likely he just wanted to stay behind and live a simple, ordinary life in his village, in his town. You see, most of the things that are going to change your life, catch us this, this morning, you're not gonna plan on them. You're not gonna strategize them. You never saw them coming. It took place in a tiny, insignificant moment, and here's the reality of it. The beauty of those things Is you don't even realize the impact that they're having in the moment that they happen. It's when you look back and you see, wow, God, you were really thinking about me in that moment. God, you were really watching over me in that moment. And God, I'm so grateful for that. You and I, for the most part, are gonna live hidden lives. I'm about to really encourage you this morning right here. (laughs) More than likely, there's gonna be very few people, maybe no one that ever visits your tomb. Aren't you so excited that you came to church this morning and just feeling encouraged? But here's the beauty of living those hidden lives. Listen to this. This is how we extend the kingdom of God in the world. This is a space where God's peace shows up and he does his greatest and deepest work through this peace initiative. God's probably not going to fix everything for you in your life. That's what you can be guaranteed of. But here is what he's going to do, is he's going to give you himself. And that in itself will be enough. He will give you himself. Buechner says this, he says, Christ never promises peace in the sense of no more struggle and suffering. Instead, he helps us to struggle and suffer as he did in love for one another. Christ does not give us security in the sense of something in this world, some cause or some principle or some value, which is forever. Instead, he tells us that there is nothing in this world that is forever. All flesh is grass, He does not promise us unlonely lives. His own life speaks loud of how in a world where there is little love, love is always lonely. Instead of all these, the answer that he gives, I think, is himself. If we go to him for anything else, he may send us away empty or he may not. But if we go to him for himself, I believe that we go away always with the deepest of all our hungers fulfilled. This is peace. There is a God that knows you this morning. He sees you and he's thinking about you and he knows exactly what's going on in your life and he cares about you. And here's the beauty of him is you can trust him Though it may seem small and insignificant and tiny and pointless, his peace, he tells us, surpasses all understanding. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 this. He says, cry out to the Lord. Give him all of your anxiety and you will experience the peace of God that will guard your heart and your mind. You see, when we do this, we can say and we can look at any situation and say, you know what, I, I don't even know how I feel the way that I feel about this. I, I don't even understand this circumstance that God has me in right now, but I have the peace of God. I know that Joseph walked in that. He wouldn't have been able to do what he did if he hadn't. You see, true peace supersedes every circumstance in our life. The worst thing that can happen for you and I is this, is that we just drift through life as a distracted consumer. Just whatever the culture throws our way, just saying yes over and over again. You see, what God is wanting to do in each and every one of us is this, is to deepen his peace in us to give us peace, that no matter the circumstance, we can stand and say, God, I I trust you. God, I I know that you're there. God, I know that you care. God, I I can't even fathom the pain that I'm sitting in right now, but God, I, I know that your peace is there. There's a story of two painters who were summoned to paint this picture of peace. And the first painter paints this beautiful beach. I mean, it's it's gorgeous. It's it's a picture that when you look at, you're like, I just want to put a chair there and sit there for the rest of my life. The beach is perfect. The sky is perfect. The waves are rolling in, and they're perfect. If you've ever been to the beach, you can hear those waves rolling in right now as you think about it. Every cloud is perfect. He says, this is peace. The next painter begins to paint his picture of peace, and it's, it's a lot different than this picture that the first artist turned in. You see, it's a beach, but there's just complete chaos going on. The sky is, is dark and gloom, The waves are huge and they're crashing on the beach. The beach is in disarray. It's not serene, it's not perfect. And off in the distance in the the ocean, there's rock formation is coming up from the sea. And the, the waves are crashing against it and shooting straight up into the sky and the little bubbles are just going straight up. The water does when it crashes into a rock. But on top of that rock, Sits this beautiful seabird. Singing this beautiful chorus. And the painter turns it in. He says, this is peace. In the midst of the storm. In the midst of all the chaos. God is there. There was a gentleman by the name of Horatio Spafford. He was a Chicagoan that lived in the 1800s. In fact, he was an attorney by trade and he was successful by all measures that we deem success in this world. And he began to buy up property all over Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago in the 1800s is there was a great fire that destroyed most of the city. And Horatio lost pretty much everything that he had. In the next few years, he began to build things back, but there came an economic downturn. And Horatio was partnered with this guy named D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist, he preached all over the world, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And Horatio and his family were scheduled to go be with D.L. Moody in England to support him in one of his crusades. And at the last minute, he wasn't able to get on the ship until he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead. And they're traveling out over the Atlantic Ocean. And somewhere along the way, that ship hit another ship in the middle of the night, an iron ship, and it sank. All four of his daughters died. His wife was thrown overboard. In fact, she was able to grab a plank of wood and they rescued her and they got her to England. And once she got there, they sent this telegram and message to Horatio and it said two words, saved alone. Saved alone. I can't imagine the pain that Horatio Spafford was going through that night losing all four of his daughters. So he gets on the ship and he begins to make his way to England to be with his grieving wife. And the captain pulls him over. As they're out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, he says, this is the spot. This is where it happened. This is where the ship went down. And Horatio, in his grief, he goes back to his cabin, alone, and he begins to write these words. He says, when peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's one of the most famous songs that maybe has ever been sung in church outside of Amazing Grace. You're gonna find the song sung in churches all over the globe. Few people know the story of when it was written and why. This morning, I ask you this question. Wherever your life has taken you, Whatever is going on in your life right now, can you say, it is well with my soul? Has God's peace that supersedes anything in our lives? Have you released every burden, every care, every drop of anxiety, every worry? Have you given it to him? Where? Are you looking for peace? See, the reality is this, is we're either moving towards peace or we're moving away from peace. It's one or the other. This morning, I I close with these words and you're welcome to say them with me. They're more of a prayer and a liturgy. You'll see them on the screen this morning. Say, I welcome your peace in my life. God, help me to daily rest in your peace. Help me to walk in your peace. Help me to live in your peace. Help me to bring peace with me everywhere I go. God, thank you for sending your one and only son to be the prince of peace of this world. And God, I pray that you would remind us of, God, no matter where life has brought us, God, that we can trust you. God, help us to make room for you and your son Jesus in our life. And this idea that peace isn't just this comfy, cozy place. God, often it's disruptive, often it's costly as we say yes to you and the things of God. God, that we would rest in that. God, that your plan is the best plan. God, we honor you this morning. We give you glory. God, help us to rest in your peace. God, help us to walk in your peace. us to live in your peace. God, to carry it with us everywhere we go. I want you just to sit in this space for a few moments as we continue to prepare our hearts to come to the table this morning.